Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. fact about my guest today, I had the honor and pleasure of seeing him perform many times in the Broadway musical Be More Chill. And toward the end of that run, I sat down with George Salazar once again to talk about all things Be More Chill and then a lot about what lay in store for him post Be More Chill. And what a great time I thought to share this conversation with all of you, because now more than ever, who doesn't need a little bit of George Salazar to put a smile in your day. Welcome, George Salazar, to the podcast. Again, A-OK. A-OK. Guys, George Salazar is here on Little Known Facts today, and I am so thrilled to talk to him about all the things from Be More Chill to his favorite childhood sitcom, <laughs> Family Matters, which we're going to do some reenactments of. That would be amazing. I do. Do uh, your best Urkel. I don't do an Urkel, but I do a Harriet Winslow. Which is the mom. Carl. Yeah, she's always like was like that. Laura. You know what I was thinking about today? What were you thinking about? Um, aside from how much I love you, <laughs> I was thinking that there are a few iconic musical theater performances that live forever. I think of Patti LuPone as Evita. Right, like there, there's a marriage of the person and we can all picture her, whether you were growing up in New York City when that show was on and her poster as Evita was on every bus that went by or yeah. the commercial, like we can picture in our minds her singing, Don't Cry For Me Argentina. Yeah. And you, George Salazar, with Michael in the bathroom and that video that sort of went viral, which single-handedly, I would say, is responsible for the global phenomena of the show. Mm. Is that a heady thing to know that that lives in the way that it lives? Millions upon millions of downloads and streams. I don't think of it that way, and I'm glad I don't, but I do feel um, an immense amount of pressure because of because of the nature of our show and because of like the popularity of that video. Um, I feel like people come to the theater expecting that level of performance, right. expecting my voice to sound like that, expecting, you know what I mean? Like there are expectations. This is a very much a new musical, but people are coming to the theater um, with, with a very high expectation yeah. for me. And that is um, really anxiety inducing. <laughs> Never thought about that. It's really. Yeah, like we saw the movie. Is this going to be like he is in the movie? Right. Of, right, right. Like of right. that. So, well, first of all, I've had 
the great fortune. Just when I think about the fact that I've seen you many times in this show, like I can't believe I get to say that, uh, all I can say to you is it has been the same as or better because the thing that a video can't do, it just mm-hmm. can't, mm-hmm. is um, as much as your essence and your performance is, is stellar and brilliant, there's nothing like being in the same room as the person who's generating that kind of beautiful performance. So wherever you are vocally that day, whatever you're feeling physically, whether you have a cold or allergies or you're tired, like just <laughs> things that human beings go through, there's just this added thing of like, oh my God, there's George Salazar in person. And I can't even explain what that's like, but it really is, um, that's the beauty of live performance. Uh, you're the best, that's so nice. So I want you to know that. And, and obviously for people who won't have the chance to come to New York City today, maybe they'll come tomorrow, but if they can't come today, that is a video that comes as close to any filmed performance of a musical theater piece uh, that has ever lived. So you're covering Thanks. everyone's bases in all the ways. I do really love that video. And you know, I I, um, I learned a lot about recording an album from watching, you know, my first cast album was the Godspell revival. Yeah. And I watched legends sing in the booth, right? Like I watched Lindsay Mendes, who now has a Tony Award, sing uh, in a booth, and I watched Morgan James, and I watched uh, Telly Leong and Nick Blameyer, uh Celise Henderson. I watched these people who um, who were doing this professionally before I was mm-hmm. uh, on a greater, grander scale than I was. And um, you know what I love, you know, particularly about Lindsay uh, on albums is you can hear her joy, you can hear her smile, and um, what and is so, that? I, I think a lot about that. How do you capture a musical theater live performance in a booth? How, what is the trick? It's um, it's it's pretending like you're not in a booth. Okay. And it's like kind of almost you have to tr- kind of trick your mind into transporting yourself into the theater. Yeah. And um, you know the Be More Chill cast album was my second cast album. Mm-hmm. It was my second time in a studio. Um, and I, you know, obviously you're wearing these clunky cans and you're in this small isolation booth and, uh, you know, there are people in a control room kind of staring at you. You kind of feel like you're at a zoo and you're the animal on display. And, um, and so it's just about like transporting yourself and trying to remember what it feels like to be on stage in that costume under the lights telling the story. And uh, and so I learned a lot um, doing that album. In it almost feels like an extension of your performance. Um, so and when I'm, you were singing, because there's the the video that went viral. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. The video no, that okay. went viral of Michael in the bathroom was sort of done as a single, or was that video part of the whole cast recording being done? Yeah. So Ghostlight Records. Um, hires a videographer for their things just to document the right. creation of the album. And um, they filmed a lot. They filmed the whole day. And- um, All the songs. All the songs. And you know, I was in a booth by myself with, it wasn't even in a real booth. I was in like a larger room with like, 
you know, two like uh, room dividers coated in blankets to kind of like soften the sound. Yeah, which really feels like the set of the show. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and so they filmed the whole thing, um, but they kind of sat on this footage because I, I don't I don't know why. But when the show started to gain traction and popularity, they were like, "Oh, we have all of this footage. Um, let's put this." video together. So so James Eads, who is an amazing videographer, who's now been the videographer for uh, the Two River cast album, for the Two Player Game album I did with Joe, and then for the Broadway cast album, he put this thing together and kind of spliced it with performance footage from Two River and, uh, and, and the, the studio uh, recording day, and really put together something really magical. Like it I am very proud of that video um, because I feel like it really captured um, the kind of the excitement that I had that we were recording and, and kind yeah. of immortalizing this album. Yeah. And then also the, the nervousness of, you know, the first time I did an album was the Godspell album and it was, um, it was mortifying because Stephen Schwartz was in the booth yeah. and, you know, you would do a take. I did a take of Light of the World uh, and then... And then, you know, there's silence and you just see like Steven talking to Kurt Deutsch. The producer. And you just see like like mouths. And then and you then, see like. Yeah, no, truly. And then you, and then you see, and then you see, uh, and, then, and then they push the button and then Kurt just goes, uh, let's do that one more time. Sure. Um, uh, you know, a little more singy, whatever that means. Yeah. And so, so uh, it's, it's, it's terrifying because you're like, I hope I'm gonna have a good voice because this thing is gonna live on forever. Yeah. Uh, and I hope I sound good. And then there's the part, like when I did my one cast album for You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, there's this moment where you're like, I'm making a cast recording yeah. for a Broadway album. Yeah. I, I listened to these, I held them, I slept with them in bed like stuffed animals. Yeah. Like I held, you know, Albums growing up, yeah. vinyl, which was and really we, and we we as as young people, whether you you know whether you're close to New York City or you're far from New York City, you listen to these albums and you you can't help but imagine what the show looked like. Yeah, and yeah. like you picture, you know, for for me, like one of the cast albums that I listened to until it was until it started skipping on me was the last five years album. Yeah. So I'm listening to Sherry Renee Scott and I'm listening to Norbert Leo Butts and I'm like closing my eyes and I'm imagining that these two people just singing to each other yeah. or singing about each other. What are they wearing? What was the set like? Right, what are know? the stage pictures? Yeah, you know? So and what do you think? Because now what's happened is like, you go on YouTube and you see not great versions right. of everything. So it sort of satisfies the part of us that used to imagine. Now yeah. you can watch clips. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think about that? Not from like, you know, when people used to get mad because like record companies were losing money because people were like pirating. Right. I don't even mean in terms of like from a producing standpoint. Right. I mean like from the emotional feeling of it and knowing what it was to live at a time before everything was accessible and now yeah. there's little snippets of everything out there. I think it's wonderful. I think, you know, I think it's, if if those things, and, and they do, they do inspire, but if those things can inspire 
particularly young people, mm -hmm. um, to dream and, um, and to commit themselves to their dreams and seeing their dreams through in a, you know, through a little snippet of a video. Yeah. That's, that's like, it's kind of, it's work that's greater than us. Yeah. And to be able to, to be able to be a part of something like that is really great. Yeah. You know? um, I think there are pros and cons to the internet. Mm -hmm. I think that our journey as a production uh, demonstrates a lot of the pros of the internet. Um, uh, you know, I get upset when people bootleg a show. I think that it's, um, I think that it is a little bit of a violation of uh, hard work and and um, and uh, and honestly, like a lot of fundraising. You know, it's a business. We're we're, we're business people, right? Um, uh, so that that Do kind of bugs me. Do you feel like out. a business person? Sometimes. Is that like a new feeling for you, or yeah. have you all? Yeah. 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 Yes. Because when we grow up and we think we're going to be actors, yeah. um, it's only like. But even when we start being actors. Yeah. It's all impossible to imagine even feeling okay to say I'm a business person. Yeah. Like, is that okay? Should I feel shameful that I'm also interested in like making a living? I think I it's love doing this yeah. so much. It's very strange. Yeah. I mean, those. that's one of the things that like you would. That's one of the secrets that you kind of internalize. Yeah. But like my brain, you know, the the whole be more chill process has taught me a lot about myself and a lot about um, what pro being proactive about your life can can do, mm -hmm. um, and how truly, as cliche as it sounds, like no dream is too big, uh, and anything is actually possible. Can you like? For someone who's like just meeting you, just learning this right now, what does that mean to you? Like the be more chill story and, and daring to dream big and... Well, you know, uh, I always considered myself just an actor, mm -hmm. whatever that means. And like I, um, I, I went to the auditions and I, and I prepped for them and, and then that was it. And then you waited and then for I waited. someone to decide. And I waited for an agent to call to say yes or no. Right. Right. Um, this Be More Chill thing took so much work from so many people, but particularly Joe Iconis and I, um, really, I mean, hustling. The hustle is like so real. In trying to get people to understand what was happening because this has not happened to another mm -hmm. show before. Mm -hmm. So we really had to explain to very intelligent people. Right, um, but who had not experienced this business no in one that had. way before. Yeah, yeah, we were kind of figuring this thing out for the first time ourselves. Right. So, and the thing you that know, you were figuring out is why did a show that happened in a small regional theater in New Jersey, why is it taking off in some viral way. Yeah, and what can what we that do mean? with that? Yeah. And like, is there something to do with this, yeah. right? Or is this something that just happened on the internet and then that's just, that's its legacy? Right. Um, we were, we never stopped believing in the show. So we committed ourselves to the fact that like, no, the legacy does not stop mm -hmm. on a viral YouTube video. The right. legacy is greater than that and the legacy and 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 its legacy deserves more. So, you know, I went from being that actor who waited for the for the phone call to um 
asking Joe, like, hey, is it okay if I reach out to Broadway producers that I have met over the years to try to like talk to them about the show? And he was like, absolutely, mm -hmm. do whatever you want. So now you're a producer. And so now I'm like getting like having coffee producer. dates with a with a producer. Yeah. Um, you know, while being severely unemployed, yeah. right? Um, printing out kind of um, numbers because producers are numbers people. So, um, you know, how can I explain how this show's um, reach and impact translates into, into um, numbers? Mm -hmm. And so it was like, um, you know, uh, the Michael in the Bathroom YouTube video has three million something views. Uh, and it was, and it was, and we got that in like a year and a half. Um, the, uh, my personal social media accounts have, have exploded and, and this is this is the average number of new followers and it is because of this show. Yeah. And so can that translate into like a thing, like an, a, a business entity? And so in that sense, like I feel like I became like a little more of a business person and I learned, a, it was like a crash course mm -hmm. and I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about the business and I learned a lot about um, Turning a part of yourself on that was that I never had to turn on. You Did know? you feel like because for so many actors that the great irony is like, look at me, don't look at me, right? Like they're mm. very happy to be front and center when it's somebody else's story that right. they are channeling in some way, um, and this is a very different scenario. This is you going. I believe that this show that my friend Joe Iconis wrote that I'm a star of should reach more people and mm. be seen by more people. Was there any part of you that, like when you talk about learning about yourself, a lot of us feel very shy to kind of go, and I'm in it, and I'm gonna be in this thing that goes forward. How did you handle the part that a lot of us start with, which is this feeling of incredible, worthy unworthiness, right? Like we really, many of us, I'm not gonna speak for you, struggle with like having an ego out loud. Maybe you didn't feel that way. You know, surprisingly, I didn't feel that way. And, and because, is that because, always who you are or is that this piece? It's this piece because like I, um, I had never been a part of something like that. And so it was very easy for me to be like, no man, you should be proud of this. Uh, and you should you should let people know you're proud of it. You shouldn't be shy about this, uh -huh. which was which was hard for me. It was, but like, um, but it but I, you know, it was never a conversation of like I'm the I'm a star of Be More Chill. Like I sing Michael in the Bathroom. Like I I I I I. It was always the greater cause. Like uh -huh. it was always like my collaboration with Joe and like and like how deserving I feel Joe is mm -hmm. to have a show of his produced in New York. Like this needs to happen. It's, it is like, it's ridiculous that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. You know, that it hasn't happened in a while. Yeah. And so, um, so, so yeah, no, it was never, I never was trying to like sell myself. Mm -hmm. It was always like this show. Here's this show that yeah. I believe in. Yeah, there's so much heart in the show. Rightly so. Yeah. Uh, when you think about like, I don't know, I feel like you've talked about different, role models of artistic relationships. Yeah. And I think you told me once, maybe you can remind me that it was Cheetah Rivera. Yeah. Who, did you do a paper on I her? Did. I okay, did. Okay, so tell me, tell me what you told me in a bar here. 
in front I of everybody. Did I was I went to school at the University of Florida. Yes. And I was given um, a topic to write a paper on, and it was Cheetah Rivera. Mm -hmm. And in my research, I saw that she had worked with Kendra and Ebb many, many times. And I was like, that's, you know, first of all, it's, it's Cheetah Rivera, so it's a, a, a Latina artist um, who was making a name for herself at, at a time where uh, there, there weren't yeah. many. And, uh, and so, just that is so iconic to me and that is so trailblazing and that is so groundbreaking. Uh, and so that initially was like, I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed. And then finding out that she was working with them on so many projects, uh, I was like, that, I would, that would be a dream. Mm -hmm. To get to- Have somebody like that in your life. Have a, have a writer who is good, who is talented, who is well-respected, who respects my work and wants to work with me on, on multiple projects is like, yeah, that's yeah. so cool, right? And that is the great And it also iconics. creates like a home base, an artistic home base for you because you can always, um, you can always feel comfortable to have some, have an ally in this business. When did you realize you could sing the way that you sing? The, the powerful, beautiful, not everybody sings like me. Like I've talked to a lot of people, Kristen Chenoweth was like, I went to church and I sang and suddenly people were applauding, which doesn't happen in church generally <laughs> right, for right. like a little sweet girl singing a song. Yeah. So when did you sort of start to notice like I have this instrument and it makes people happy to listen to it? High school. Uh, so I did like elementary school kind of like choiry stuff. We yeah. were the Manatee Music Makers. Yeah, you were. Uh, we were. It was Boggy Creek Elementary School in Kissimmee, Florida. Can we trademark Florida. that? I don't want anyone else to have it. <laughs> the Manatee Music Makers. <laughs> sure. And uh, and you know it was a whole lot of like uh, you know uh, just like uh, uh, were you singing pop songs or no, like, it was like choral arrangements? It was like no, no, no. It was like things like. Uh, Itsy Bitsy Spider oh. and like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, like stuff like that, where okay. we'd like sing a little bit and then play the recorder and then sing a little bit more. Like it was like that. It was like the entire fifth grade class kind of thing. That was the extent. And then in high school, I um, I was a big Weird Al fan and I rewrote um, pop song lyrics that were not safe for school to entertain my friends. And uh, and I, I you know I, I always had like a very uh, ballsy sense of humor, um, and you know, especially in, in high school, I like the, the the idea of like shocking my friends um, and making them laugh, but shocking them yeah. was like really thrilling. So I rewrote the lyrics to "Hit Me Baby One More Time" by Britney Spears, and I didn't have to change much. Okay. And do you remember any of the lyrics that you came uh, up with? No, but I but I'm. It's probably for the best that I don't remember any <laughs> of those right. words. But I was doing it in a class called ITGS, International Technology in a Global Society. I was an international baccalaureate student. I was, uh, I was very, uh, I was a very good student. I studied very hard and, uh, and I was a straight A student right off the bat. That's, but That's good to know. But I was, um, I was outlandish 
and I was uh, at times kind of offensive, mm-hmm. um, but I always got out of trouble because I was smart and a good student. This <laughs> is kind of weird, manipulative, That's and a good life sociopathic, skill. but yeah. like, um, so. Were so, you aware of this at the time? Or is this in retrospect when I look back at myself, but were you like, I can play oh, I was both a sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. a terror. But I knew exactly knew what I was doing. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew exactly what I was doing. I, I remember being sent to the principal's office a couple times and 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 getting out of it by being like, I I just witnessed this. <laughs> I was just a witness. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, and I'm happy that I can help yeah. with the case. What can I do? Yeah. Yeah. What can I do? Right. And then, and then with the sk- paint all over your head, all over my right. head, and skipping and leaving it, leaving like footprints. <laughs> That's right. Down the halls. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I, so I sang this thing. Uh, uh, a gentleman named Donald Roop, who I'm still friends with, um, uh, was uh, uh, a year ahead of me, and took. You know, ITGS was an elective course. He took uh, theater arts. Uh, as his elective course in his junior year. He was now a senior. Okay. I was a junior. And he skipped school a lot. So he failed that course. And how do you fail theater arts? Like, really, how do you... That takes real talent. I I skipped ITGS once and sat in the theater arts class, which is hilarious. Like, I skipped class to go attend other classes. Right. (laughs) Um, Exactly. And he, he, so he skipped so class and had to- So I guess he to, skipped class and that's how you fail theater arts. You don't actually go. You don't actually go. That's what that's it takes. That's the only way you can fail that's that right. course. That's right, and he did it. And he did it. And so he had to take a different elective course. So he was in our infor- information technology and global society class. And that's why you class. knew this senior when you were in 11th grade because he had to take this class with you. But I judged him very hard. Like I did, I kind of was a mean girl about it and didn't mm-hmm. talk to him because I was like, he's a senior mm-hmm. and he has to take this junior class. Yeah. He overheard me saying my version of Hit Me Be One More Time, and he also happened to be the vice president of the drama club. And there were auditions that day for a production of Little Shop of Horrors, and he was like, uh, what are you doing after school? Kind of like a like a like an old timey agent <laughs> or like cigar. manager. Yeah, 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 yeah. Being like, yeah, you got yeah. spunk, kid. Yeah. Um, I was supposed to graduate seven years ago, but I'm still yeah. here. Yeah. That's why he looked like a senior citizen, because he actually was. So he's like, you got spunk, kid. You got spunk, kid. Yeah. Uh, you should audition for Little Shop. And I had no interest in doing So you're not a musical extra... theater lover yet. You don't no. know Little Shop. No, I don't know musical theater. Wasn't your know. Bible yet? No, not okay. yet. Yeah. And he convinced me to do it. And um, this was a new thing for me, because I wasn't into extracurriculars. Like, extracurricular for me was... I th- and we've talked about this in the past, is like watching Jerry Springer or Maury Povich and eating pizza rolls, uh, not doing theater after right. school. Or being with other people. Or being... <laughs> it's a little isolating. Yes. So uh, so I went and I, I, I was cast as Seymour in Little Shop. And it was like a whole new, I mean, it was like a fantasy sequence in a movie right. where like- It really happens. We had this like gorgeous performing arts auditorium at our school that I had never stepped foot in. Yeah. Right? And like, there was like a whole like costume area of this of this auditorium where there were like just old I want like beautiful orchestrations costumes. to play in the background right now and angels singing and oh lights. Oh my God, it was, yeah. it was incredible. And like, I didn't want to go home. Like. We, we would start rehearsal and I was like, this is great. 
Like, I love it here. And, and did I would, you make friends in that oh my, company? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah. And I learned a lot about my, myself through the drama club. You know, there were not a lot of gay kids in my school. Um, but the few that were at, our, at the school were obviously Guess doing what? theater. That's where they were. And, yeah. you know, and so I was learning a lot about myself. I mean, it was such a, such a magical time. And are you starting time. to talk about it with them? Very carefully. What does that mean? Um, <laughs> it's like uh, there was, there was well, one, one guy in particular who I would um, give car rides to. He was a year younger than me, and I had a car. And after rehearsals, he lived like way out of our district, far, far away. And, um, and I would be like, sure, I'll drive you home. And there was like a lot of like flirting that was happening. Uh -huh. So it was like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, it was all kind of uns an unspoken kind of exploration. Yeah. But it all happened because of theater. Like I, I uh, you know, it was like, it was scary, but it was also thrilling and. And so you could sing. And people were like, you sing so, great. Yeah, I was doing, there was a, there, in senior year, there was a scholarship in our county. Um, uh, it's like a thousand dollar talent scholarship. And I auditioned for it and I won the scholarship. And my drama teacher, Miss Harris, who passed away a couple years ago, um, told my parents that, because uh, we had this thing that I was gonna be a doctor. Uh, and that's why I was like so focused on my studies. Yeah. And she pulled my parents aside one day and she said, uh, the world has many doctors. There's only one George Salazar. Wow. And it took my dad a little time to, yeah. to, to catch on. But, um, but uh, yeah, that was the beginning of everything. It was just like, which is why I like cannot stress enough the importance of arts education. Right. And how important it is that we not cut funds, but double funds. I am forever indebted to her and people like her mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I grew up in Kissimmee, Florida in a subset of it called Buenaventura Lakes, which was predominantly um, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Haitian. Um, uh, it was a lot of like lower to middle class families. It was a public school. Um, there was just no funding for the arts. Yeah. Yet this like guardian angel, this woman was there and she believed in her students and she loved her students very much and she made, she changed a lot of lives. The show that you're doing, Be More Chill, has really single-handedly changed a lot of lives in the way that you're describing this teacher. Mm. There's sort of been this collective that's formed uh, you are all Miss Harris in a way in the story of this play in terms of what you are shining a light on with your performances, with the content of the show and what you're giving back yeah. to the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who see the show and who hear the show and who have absorbed the message of the show. And, you know, when we were talking about sort of owning I want to do this thing and I'm not afraid to say that I think this is something great and I want to help make it happen. You did. The other thing that's really unusual about your show or, or any workplace is that it is filled with friends. Yeah. Most of us can't kind of go around going, all right, these are the 10 people I really love. I'm going to set up an office <laughs> and we're going to do the thing we love to do together for years and years. Yeah. Um, it's, 
it just doesn't work that way. Reality doesn't always work that way. Yeah. You have managed with the great Joe Iconis, composer, lyricist, writer at the center. It's almost a theater company that just happens to do things in cabaret spaces or Broadway <laughs> or the, like anywhere. Yeah. So you've had, what did they say? It's the end of like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factories, like what happens to the man who got, the boy who got everything he wanted and it's like he lived happily ever after. Mm. Um, you have had outrageous success. Uh, you have become a household name in the world of Broadway and musical theater, the thing that most people spend a lifetime trying to accomplish. It's happening in the here and now. As I sit with you, George Salazar is someone that people know who he is. He has created something that young people and grown-ups will sing at auditions or in the shower forevermore. Has Michael, this character of Michael Mel, this beautiful boy, um, become a part of how you are in your own life now? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like the greatest gift that I could have gotten from this whole thing is what, you know, when you're playing someone like that and you're giving life to a character like that and telling a story like that, it's very, you, gotta, you have to be a real asshole to not be personally affected mm -hmm. by the work. Mm -hmm. And I have become a better listener, a better son, a better brother, a better friend, more compassionate and understanding, um, and more willing to understand people who are different than me. Um, I've become more empowered to do more and um, help more. You know, it's been, this whole year has been, I've been talking about it as the year of dream, all the dreams coming true, the the wildest dreams and also all of the nightmares mm -hmm. have all come true. Like everything is happening. What are the nightmares? Oh, the nightmares. I haven't talked about this publicly and I'm thrilled to be doing it with you. My voice is pretty resilient. Mm -hmm. I, I have done a, crazier things with my voice, character voices. Right. Stuff like the that. demands and, have been in some ways more intense perhaps than this performance. Yeah. yeah. And it was uh, at the end of tech, as, as happens to a lot of actors because of the insane hours yeah. that you have to yeah. be at work rehearsing in an day. old theater, yeah. you know, it's, it's literally a Petri dish. I got sick and, um, and I was like hacking up my lungs every morning. It was just like, I was waking mm -hmm. up in pain. There was like so much chest congestion and it was like kind of bronchitis-y um, and I powered through it instead of listening to my body mm -hmm. because of the pressure of right. we're, about to, we're about to do I've this is this my dream is coming true yeah right can't miss a show can't yeah. miss a show and second preview it was Valentine's Day um, I woke up and was coughing and I got to the theater and I felt, my, my throat felt weird, my voice felt weird. And I did the show, 
And about halfway through act one, I texted Amanda Flynn, my, my voice coach, and we FaceTimed. And I told her, I was like, something's wrong. And she was like, keeping me calm. Because again, like we have to, we have to take into consideration that that anxiety that I talked about earlier about this song has to be perfect every mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. They are expecting like it to sound like notes. the album. Yeah. And I went out and it was, I had a full anxiety attack on stage because I later the next day found out that I, my vocal cords had hemorrhaged. So for people who are watching this and don't know, it's when you're, we all have the blood vessels all over your body and in your vocal cords there are very tiny blood vessels and if pushed to their limit your cords um, those vessels can rupture and they affect the quality of your voice and they affect how your vocal cords function and um, I knew something was terribly wrong I even at my most vocally tired could squeeze out on Michael in the bathroom and this was like, it was hard and it was labored and my voice was thin at, in its top range and um, oh, it was terrible. And I finished the show, I powered through um, and the next day we went to my ENT, Dr. Salika, who is like the best in the biz. Yeah. And he was like, we well, just gotta take you out of the show for a little bit. And I was like devastated. Right. Because I just made it to the Olympics and I can't. And there's yeah. this stigma yeah. about vocal injuries that, that people suffer from vocal injuries because they're untrained or they're not good enough or they're not ready for Broadway or the eight show schedule is too demanding for them and they don't have the endurance for it. I've been doing this for 11 years. Right. So I knew that it wasn't, that that wasn't the case. And what it was was that I was singing on sick chords and I was mm-hmm. pushing myself to the limit. And, um, we took me out for um, the rest of that week. I was on complete vocal rest. I was walking around with a whiteboard. Um, my dear friend, Jessica Kent, was keeping me company at home while my friends were doing the show that we loved so much. I was feeling this immense guilt because um, I wasn't there to do the show. Uh, and you know, social media, can be scary and rough. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was getting a lot of tweets from people talking about how disappointed they were that they weren't seeing me in the show. Um, and I was being, you know, kind of, it was, it was suggested to me that I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell people that I uh, suffered a vocal injury because uh, people don't understand it and, um, and it, could, it, could, it could look bad on me. Right? So how do you explain, as someone who's pretty active on social media so, and so engaged yeah, with Yeah, yeah. So your it was important to me to like say something to people because I didn't know when I'd be going back into the show, right? right? Um, and so I said that I was sick and my voice wasn't feeling well, uh, but I'm going to get better and I'm going to jump back into the show again. And is anyone so, having a conversation with you like, we might have to recast this? Is that... That, Your that was scary never fantasy. that was never on the table for the producers and for and this is a testament to the type of people that are behind the scenes at be more chill right was no one at any point was like sorry man right they were all like so supportive we're gonna hang what can out we until, do for you yeah 
Joe was checking in on me every day. Joe's parents were checking in. I mean, I was feeling this immense amount of love and it, it really helped soften the blow. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then we, we got to, we were approaching opening. And my doctor puts me on these steroids. And, you know, you gotta be there for opening. Um, and you gotta be there for, for reviews. So through all of this, by the way, I'm attending preview rehearsals. Okay. I'm on vocal rest, but I'm there so that I'm in the know for any changes. Right, right. And so I'm like taking notes and then sneaking out the back door so I don't get seen mm-hmm. by people who are coming to see the show that mm-hmm. night. I have never been more stressed in my life. And um, we, I start to feel a little better. I've now been on vocal rest for like three weeks. Yeah. I jump back in for for press week for reviews and I am in for opening. And then I get back in for like four shows the following week and then I have another follow-up. By this point, I'm scheduled to have surgery on my vocal cords. And the whole plan was get through opening, do a couple of shows after, and then they shut me down, vocal rest for a week, and then do the procedure, and then it'd take about a week and a half, two weeks for recovery. Um, so I'm like terribly depressed. This thing that's supposed to be like the highlight of my life mm-hmm. has turned into my worst nightmare coming true. And then, um, and then we go in for the follow-up, uh, you know, before they basically are gonna say like, we're gonna put you on vocal rest, we're gonna do surgery. And then my cords have healed miraculously. They look great. There's no, the blood vessel has shrunk. I, I don't need surgery. And I'm, you know this about me by now, I'm very spiritual and mm-hmm. I'm, everything happens for a reason. And so I start thinking like, what? Like, <laughs> what, why did that happen? All of it. All of it. All of it. And, um, and so then I start, I start working with a, um, a voice uh, therapist. Uh, I'm working with Amanda Flynn and my voice, my vocal cords are fine again. Mm-hmm. I don't know how all of that healed on its own, uh-huh. but it was a really treacherous start to this Broadway run. And, and so scary. And really scary because those surgeries can end a career. Yeah. If yeah. Do, if something goes wrong. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, if Lloyd's of London were going to insure you, it would be <laughs> right. Like this yeah. is this is your this is your gift. It was a very like sobering experience, and and but dude, also for you to go grounding. through that, like, oh my god, what if I can't sing? Oh my god, and you got through that. I got through it, and I got through it with the help of my friends, yeah. and and it was um, yeah, it was terrifying. So so like nightmare. Literal nightmare coming true. Um, and nothing like that had ever happened to me and I hope it never happens again. Mm-hmm. That's not wood. It's marble. That is. That's wood. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're coming to a close and I feel like it's, I can talk about that now, yes. but like, and it feels very good to talk about it. Yeah. Because I've only ever wanted to be upfront and honest about it because it happens to people. It happens to like literally the best singers. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and for some reason, you know, if people are people are worried that it that it lowers your value, 
in this business and like I'm still doing my thing, you know? First of all And we'll continue to. You are you're the most beloved and the most generous. And um, I think what people are thinking right now more than anything is we cannot wait to see what you do next. All right, tell me a little known fact about you. This is a newer thing, but you know, in meeting so many young, queer, brown kids at the stage door, uh, and knowing that growing up, like I, I didn't, there, there, there was no you. role model for yeah. me. Like my dad and my mom were my role models growing up. They still are. Um, I, I've decided that I want to, um, you know, the, the, the feeling of creating something that gives so much comfort and, um, and makes makes young people feel so seen by um, the feeling that 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 gives me is a really um, addicting sensation and so I want to create more things with that in mind like I want to lead in terms of like my my mission statement as an artist I want to lead with that you know I grew up mixed race and um, when I was growing up um, for instance, there was never uh, an option for mixed race on like standardized testing. Mm -hmm. The U.S. Census didn't include an option for mixed race until like 2000. Um, and so there's this whole subset of, of, of people who, um, who, who feel like they need to choose one, one right. over no the other. There's no box that, that fits them. Right. Yeah. And that does a lot to you um, yeah. growing up. It makes you feel other. Um, and, out, and very much like an outsider. That's literally what the box you tick is. It says other. Yeah. I mean. That's so. So, so dehumanizing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so this TV idea is, is kind of about a, a, a person in their 30s and um, who grew up mixed race in the 90s um, and a young mixed race gay boy who's growing up today um, and how the two of them and their uh, experiences, though wildly different because of time, yeah, um, help each other find their themselves. You know, there's I went through like a huge identity crisis, and I don't know if we've talked about this, but like, you know, I came out so late because I think I was really wrestling with my identity outside of my sexuality, mm -hmm. um, and you know. I have a lot of friends who are not mixed race, who were out at 16 and right. knew, knew who they were. Yeah. Um, and when you add that other element, you know, it's a story that, uh, that is not being told. And so, um, so I'm excited to be, to, to be spending some time on developing this idea and what it'll be, I don't know. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm excited to really f devote myself um, when I do have free time um, to creating things that just continue to make um, people feel seen and give a voice to the voiceless. And um, that's my little known fact, Alana. I... I'm like really excited about what the future holds. Um, as a person who no longer waits for a phone call. <laughs>
to make things, mm -hmm. um, who feels empowered now. Um, and this is because of the fans of Be More Chill that I have this, um, that I feel empowered to do this. Um, but, but as someone now who feels like I can make things happen and I can create and I don't have to wait for someone to give me permission to do it. I'm really glad you came here today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you, George Salazar. Hey, I am so excited to share some news with you guys. For the last few months, I've been working on another project that I've been calling Little Known Facts 2.0, Stage Network, an incredible new streaming platform which promises to be Netflix for theater lovers, asked me to do Little Known Facts as a filmed series, a talk show, as it were, in front of cameras. And I really thought about it for a long time because the thing that's made this podcast so special is that all of my guests have been able to share deep, intimate truths about their lives because we are in this tiny, comforting confessional that is the podcast booth. And I really had to think hard, could I still deliver the same kind of intimate, raw, hilarious, and unique interviews if cameras were involved? But I think I figured it out. And I'm so grateful to Stage Network for allowing me to make my dream of sharing incredible friends with you in this whole new way. So I shot six episodes. The first one uh, is with Ben Platt. Other guests include Celia Keenan-Bolger, Zachary Quinto, George Salazar, Nikki M. James, John Slattery, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to share them with you. Stage Network really is an amazing place. Not only is it filled with incredible original content, uh, it has licensed so much theater-related content, documentaries and films and all sorts of incredible programming. I feel like I dreamed up a network and someone else created it and here it is. And the fact that I'm involved in even a small way with this incredible, incredible network is just truly an honor. So to that end, uh, to watch all of the content, including Little Known Facts, the series, go to watchstage.com. Enjoy and I hope you like it. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City.